Hey guys, it is Abdul for the good folks from Leon Tailoring, 809 North Delaware, downtown Annapolis. You know, I had a little bit of a health issue lately and lost a lot of weight, almost like 60 pounds. Now, some of that was on purpose. Some of that was from the hospital stay, uh, but I had to get some new clothes. And so guess where I'm going? That's right. I'm going to Leon Tailoring because Larry, Norm, Kim and Judy have taken my measurements for years and the measurements have dropped a little bit. And so they'll take care of me just like they'll take care of you. So swing on by Leon Tailoring. Don't tell me you lost weight. They'll be able to tell if you have or not. Leon Tailoring, 809 North Delaware, downtown Indianapolis. Well, the race for governor, lieutenant governor, all those other fun stuff isn't until next year, but the candidates are crawling out of the woodworks. And speaking of crawling out of the woodworks, no stranger uh, to these airways. Uh, good friend, even though we don't say great everything, but we have a really good relationship. Micah Beckwith, uh, conservative activist, uh, pastor up in Noblesville, and also, uh, now, as of now, a candidate for lieutenant governor. That's right. Nope, not Congress, not governor, but lieutenant governor. So Micah joins us in the studio. So Micah, I got to ask you, what the hell is your problem? <laughs> Well, Abdul, I appreciate you. I, uh, I I I love coming in here and talking with you about the stuff. And uh, you know, I, as I've looked around the state for a number of years, uh, I've I've recognized that we've kind of got away from the original intent of some of these offices. And Lieutenant Governor is one of those offices. And um, it, it's always been designed to be the voice of the delegates picking the Lieutenant Governor candidate. But for 31 years, we've we've basically just handed that vote over to the gubernatorial primary winner and said, you tell us who to vote for, and then we'll do it as delegates. I don't think that's healthy. I, don't, I think it, it removes the check and balance. And I, what I want to do is go back to the delegates and say, guys, take take your voice back. You tell the gubernatorial candidate who you believe as delegates will be the best to make this ticket a solid ticket. And I, and I trust the delegates to do that. Uh, but in a weird way, uh, because like I said, I've been covering Indiana government for, for 20 years, politics for 30 and I've seen situations, uh, actually back home in Illinois, where the governor and lieutenant governor were elected separately yeah. and ended up with a big mess like L- Lyndon LaRouche's yep. and all the other stuff like back in the back in the uh, uh, mid-1980s. Mid Why would the governor not get his pick of lieutenant governor? Well, let me ask a question. Is that a bad thing when there is sort of a stalemate between uh, – two branches of government or even within the executive if there's a lieutenant governor and a governor who are disagreeing with each other because you go back to the presidency back in the 1800s you could have two different parties president and vice president and some would argue oh it's so hard to get things done that way and the answer is yes that's right but i argue that when the government's getting a lot done 95 percent of the time the things are getting done are not good for the people and so our founders really believe that these checks and balances would slow government and so having a lieutenant governor in there that's pushing back on the governor or vice versa is not a bad thing in my opinion it's like no you're you it's just, it's supposed to be a grind it's supposed to find the common ground and have the consensus and the problem is when you when you give over an office like the lieutenant governor to just the governor now you just have two you just have two arms of the governor you don't have the check and balance anymore it's kind of what happened with the senate the 17th amendment when the u.s senate was supposed to represent the state legislatures and then the 17th amendment under wilson they changed that and they said no we just want it to be another house of representatives and so essentially what we created is two two houses of representatives out in washington and now nobody represents the state the state interest and so i'm oh, yeah, saying they're also uh, doing some things that they probably shouldn't be doing, like taking big sacks of money to the legislature to corrupt well the, to corrupt to corrupt the process but then you get to fix that in the state <laughs> level like then you can go to your state rep and the people can say hey we don't we see this corruption here you gotta stop it and so again it it, it does create that check and balance though and i believe the lieutenant governor has kind of been given over to the governor and now it's just another arm of the governor's office and we need to make sure that either they are two separate 
constitutionally elected offices that that can work really well together when it's the right thing for the people, but then there's going to be a slowdown if it's not the right thing for the people. Uh, just so folks know, uh, how, how the lieutenant governors pick. Yep. I think we get, have we got, you, you and I know each other so well, and we argue so well, we yep. almost, got, almost got ahead of ourselves. Yep. How was the lieutenant governor picked in the state of Indiana? Yep, so right now it is, uh, you, it's a delegate convention race is what you'll hear people say, where there's 1,808 delegates in the Republican Party, and those delegates are elected in May of 2024. Within every, every county has delegate districts, and so you could run if you're listening to this you want to run for delegate you could run for delegate and then you would go down the next month in june usually the second or third weekend in june to the state convention and then you get to decide on who you want to be lieutenant governor this year and then also who you want to be attorney general uh the candidate that that then will go out to the general election in november that's sort of the primary it's the primary process uh for lieutenant governor attorney general and then and in uh the opposite years every other two years it's uh secretary of state treasurer an auditor, which was what we just had in 2022. Our guest on the program today is Micah Beckwith, a conservative activist, a local pastor here uh, in central Indiana, uh, announcing today uh, that he is running for lieutenant governor. Just announced a few minutes ago on the Casey and Kendall program. That'll be up on podcast, just like this will be up uh, on podcast at indypolitics.org. Okay, uh, so we'll, we'll, we'll get to the, the politics of it in just a second. Uh, what qualifies you uh, to be lieutenant governor. What do you bring to the table? Yeah, well, first and foremost, I'm... Probably I'm, a charming personality, of course, but <laughs> well, I have one of those, Well, thank you, you do, right? And I ran for mayor. <laughs> <once. laughs> well, I, you know, I appreciate I, I appreciate when people like you or just the, the average person jumps into the race. First of all, one, I'm an influencer. I, I'm an educator and an influencer. I teach constitutional literacy to high schoolers uh, in central Indiana. I, I know what the Constitution says. You don't have to go to law school to understand the Constitution. You just have to read it and study it, and, and you you can learn the Constitution well. I know it well, and so I understand the, the where the lane the government should stay in. Um, I I know um, I, I've been I've been fighting for constitutional liberties for the last three years for people who have been fighting the uh, religious uh, uh, their, their I would say the the vaccine mandate. They've been standing up on their religious fr- uh, freedom, and I've I've helped four thousand Hoosiers from around the the state uh, stand up, keep their jobs, not have to take the COVID vaccine against their will, uh, do uh, with their religious freedom and, and the constitutional principles there. So so I've got this proven record of saying, hey, I will fight for the people. And we took a lot of backlash for, for doing that at the church. I did. People would you know say some really hateful things about me in the media. and uh, But yet we did it because it was the right thing to do for those people who were desperately trying to not take the vaccine, but but also uh, you know keep their job. So I've got that proven track record. I, I, work, with this, I work with the next generation. I believe one of the biggest uh, hurdles that we have right now in Indiana is, is the education of our, of our children. Uh, there's there is an indoctrination going on. I see it every day. There's a woke agenda. Uh, you could you could argue a Marxist agenda that's taking over our, our our public schools, trying to take over our public schools. We need someone who's bold to step out and, and and expose it. And again, the lieutenant governor doesn't have a ton of authority, but you do have a bully pulpit. And I know how to use bully pulpits really well. I've been doing it for a long time. And so that's really why I I, I believe I would be a great lieutenant governor. And I'd it'd probably be. A Ron DeSantis like uh, in in that office. So, uh, Lieutenant Governor uh, basically oversees Department of Agriculture, yep. uh, Tourism, Tourism, Okra, and, and, and is uh, and also is the president of the Senate and also uh, the Office of Rural uh, uh, Community, Community yep. uh, uh, Affairs. Affairs. Yep. Uh, what is uh, what is in Micah Beckwith's background that would help him in agriculture 
and okra and even right in the center for that yeah matter. well yeah, i'm not i'm not a farmer but uh my my grandparents were farmers i understand the value of agriculture um we indiana that's really what sets us apart i mean we are a, a beautiful state we have beautiful farmland i want to keep that i want to make sure that we don't sell that farmland to china so that's a big thing i, I i'm kind of i'm a i'm looking at the global geopolitical uh uh, just uh, issues that are going on. I'm very aware of what's happening on an, on an international stage. And one of the things right now that I'm very concerned with is that China's coming in, buying up our farmland. And the, and as as someone who would, who would uh, oversee the, the board of agriculture, I, I could very I could make a huge impact to say, hey, we're not going to give that over to to the Chinese communists, our enemies. Like we're going to keep it in the hands of Americans who believe in the value of of capitalism, who believe in the value of liberty and freedom. And so that would be one thing right there. I don't again, I'm not a farmer, but I understand the value of of what agriculture brings to our great state. Uh, as far as being president of the Senate, uh, I. I I think right now, in the last few years, the Senate is where conservative bills from the House go to die. And we need influencers in the Senate to say, hey, these are good bills. We need to move these bills through. Or this is a bad bill. We need to stop it. And as a president of the Senate, I would actually, I would, I would really very, uh, very much be, be working behind the scenes with senators to say, let's get this done. We need to get this done. We need to move this. We need to stop this. And so, again, it's all about influence. It's not, you know, I don't have a vote unless it's a tie-breaking vote uh, in the Senate. But, but I, again, I would use my influence to move us in the right direction. Our guest on the program today is Micah Beckwith. Micah is a conservative activist, a local pastor here in central Indiana, and now candidate uh, for lieutenant governor because he doesn't have enough to do already. By the way, take care of your health, otherwise, running for office in the hospital. Just, I was going to say, just, just, just well, you, you look good. You lost a lot of weight, though, too. So I uh, lost 50 pounds last year, then another 10 this year. Just running? The, the, la- the last 10 were the, were the hard ones. So the first 50 <laughs> were, was relatively easy, yeah. easy to do, old friend. Uh, I want to go back to something you said earlier uh, yeah. about uh, – the, the lieutenant governor's office, agriculture, farmland, yep. and keeping that farmland out of the hands of China. Yep. On, the, on the one hand, um, I can see particularly looking after natural interests, but uh, but on the other side, too, isn't it just capitalism? Shouldn't farmers be allowed to sell their land to whomever they want to sell it to? Yeah, I'm, I'm a huge capitalist. I'm a free market guy. But there comes a time where uh, national security you has to be has to be weighed in on as well. And, and right now, China is not a good faith actor. They are, they are not. They are our enemy. They're our economic enemy. They have made it very clear by 2049 they want to be the dominant superpower when it comes to economics and military. And if China gets to that right now with their current leadership, we will not have liberty and freedom the way that we've always had here in the United States. And so so we have to make sure that that is not falling into the hands of our farmland, is not falling into the hands of our enemies. It's kind of like, you know, we want to work with Iran is what we've been told through the Obama administration, now the Biden administration. And so they did they, they, they do these stupid Iran deals where they say we're going to give you money now. Now treat us nicely. Well, they don't do that. They they come at us with our own money, and I think China would do the same thing. We want to treat you nicely and fairly, uh, so you can buy up our farmland. Now now play nice. They're not going to play nice. That we have to be awake and we have to realize that they're they're a bad actor. And so uh, while yes, I do agree that there has to be a freedom to sell your land who you want to. You cannot you cannot destroy our national uh, security in, in you, the process. How do you prevent uh, a farmer from selling his or her farmland to China because number one, uh, you said the Constitution there's a Commerce yeah. Clause yeah. Uh, in there, and number two, how do you stop the Chinese from like, hey, I'll 
hey, Abdul, like $100,000. Hey, Abdul, you go buy this farmland, and you just basically, your, your name's on it, but we actually That's own. right. Well, actually, uh, the current lieutenant governor, Suzanne Crouch, is actually looking into that right now, I, and she's doing some good work on that. I, I, I've been talking to some people that are close to her, and that's, that's the issue, right? Because it's not technically saying it's owned by the Communist Party of China. It's some person that's been given money by China to buy the land, and so we've got, it's money laundering is what's going on. So there's ways that, you know, constitutionally, we can stop that. It's not going to be, uh, you know, we're not going to trample on constitutional liberties to sell your property. But we also, again, you can't, you can't sell, I mean, we're not allowed to sell state secrets to, to uh, our enemies, to Russia or to China. Uh, I would say uh, our, our gems of agriculture and land uh, is, is right up there with kind of the state secrets. It's like, these are valuable possessions to our nation. We're not going to let anyone just take them to our enemies and, and give them away. And so, so I, I do think there is a, there's a line to walk and I'm a constitutionalist. I'm going to make sure I'm going to protect your liberties, but at the same time, I'm also someone that's going to fight for our national security um, as Lieutenant Governor. Uh, a couple of uh, jobs Lieutenant Governor has, like I said, uh, Okra, the mm-hmm. Office of Rural Development, yep. uh, and also tourism. So yep. what does Micah Beckwith bring to those well, one of the things is I'll, I'll go back. I'll go back to the original slogan of Crossroads of America uh, because the tour, the Board of Tourism just changed that to something that says I forget what it is right now, but it's uh, you know stay here, play here, whatever. But uh, I love the idea of Crossroads of America. I love the idea that we are seen as a as a as a gateway, as a place where people like we're, we're the middle, the heartland of the nation. And and so as far as tourism goes, I believe people are attracted to states where there is the heart of America. So we see that in Florida. Why are people moving to Florida in droves? Because the heart of America lives there. And I want to get Indiana to be seen around the, the, the nation as, as a place where the heart of America lives there, where it's, it's God and country values, where we love God, we love people, uh, we love our neighbor as ourselves, and, and we, love, we love our nation with our whole hearts. And, uh, and so if, as, a, as someone who's going to be on that tourism board, I'm always going to go into every meeting and say, okay, how can we get the values, the who's your hospitality values to shine through here? I, I get it. We want to attract business again, but I, I don't want to sacrifice uh, our values just for the money that business brings. I want to make sure that this remains a steadfastly uh, God and country state where people look at it and say, man, I could raise my family there because it's safe, it's prosperous, and and I know my kids are going to be taken care of by not just me, but by by my neighbors and, and people within my community. Uh, what do you bring or what ideas do you have for Lieutenant Governor's office that, that aren't being done right now? Yeah, well, so I, I, one of the big ones that I have, and I mentioned it earlier, was uh, getting to the next generation. And one of the things I would do as Lieutenant Governor is every week I'd be, I'd be traveling to our schools, to middle schools, p- particularly 13-year-old age groups, teaching them what, what, why the Constitution is so important, teaching them about conservative values. Because if Abraham Lincoln said the philosophy of the classroom in one generation is the philosophy of the government in the next. And I, I see the forefront of the battle right now for the heart and the soul of America is in the middle schools of our nation. And so one of the things that I would make it a priority every week, I'd be going to multiple middle schools around the state of Indiana, speaking on behalf of the government, on behalf of the Lieutenant Governor's office, but having, having a, a time where we can educate uh, the next generation on why Indiana and the constitutional conservative values have built a great state, why that's so important to carry on. Uh, and so that's that's something that I, I would do better than any other lieutenant governor that's come before me because I've, I've been in student ministry. I, I, I have a heart for the next generation. There's, there, there's, there's so much potential there, but there's also a huge push to pull them away from truth right now. We've got to stand up in the gap for them. 
Michael Beck with uh, Michael Beck with us with us for a few more minutes on the program today. Uh, right now, uh, we got three candidates for governor. Yeah, uh, well, Suzanne Crouch, obviously. Uh, Eric, Eric Godin, uh, former uh, Penn's IEDC guy, and uh, Mike Braun. Uh, and we, we also have another one. You have Jamie Rittenauer, who is a uh, she's a lady from Indianapolis, and, and so she's declared too. So I've talked to all four of them. So so who would you who would you mind working with? Well, I, I I could work with any of them, and that's the thing. It's like I'm I'm going to be the delegates' voice in there. So any any of them, I I I love them all. I mean, I, as far as people, I, I, they're all good people. Uh, they all have their strengths and they all have their weaknesses. I've gotten to know all of them over the course of the last year pretty well, and uh, and and I think I would be a a, a great compliment to uh, to boost their strengths, but also then to kind of come around side of their weaknesses and lift them up in areas maybe they wouldn't necessarily be strong with. So, uh, so I, I, again, there's not one of them that I would say, oh, I couldn't work with that person. No, I would work with, with any of them and I'd work with them well. I'd be the greatest champion of the, of the conservative agenda if they're pushing that. But the moment they step outside the bounds of the Constitution, I'd, I'd be a, a little bit of a thorn in the flesh to say, nope, you can't do that. Let's get back on track. Um, yeah, because I ask you, what happens when you have a policy disagreement with the governor? Well, you, ultimately, you know, the governor has the authority, right? So it's not. It's called. It's this. It's this concept of leading up. If you if you've studied leadership, uh, and which I have, and and business leading, there you can lead upwards. You don't have to be the CEO to lead an organization well. You can influence. It's all about influencing those who have more authority than you. And so I I, I feel like I've learned how to do that well. And and at the end of the day, it's the governor's decision. I mean, the governor will have the right to veto or to sign a bill in the law, right? But but there is a there is a lot of influence that can be done behind closed doors and even publicly. So I go back to 2020, a um, lot of decisions and con- and and um, and shutdown mandates and mass mandates were given uh, publicly, but those decisions came behind closed doors. Where were the people behind those closed doors pushing back? Maybe they were there, maybe they weren't. As lieutenant governor, I'll tell you right now, I would be fighting behind closed doors. But then if it goes public and something unconstitutional like that happens again, I would then go public with my voice and say, hey, I don't support the governor in this. I I, I cannot in good conscience stand in alignment. Here's why, because the Constitution says something else. I support, I gave my oath to the, uphold the Constitution, not uphold the governor's agenda. So so that's that's how you use the influence. It's all it's all influencing and, and pushing... Uh, pushing people in the right direction. And I think I can do that well. Marijuana legalization. Final <laughs> question. Where are you, big guy? You know, you know what's going to happen. Yeah, that's funny. That's funny. Listen, I, I have a libertarian's heart, I think, in some ways. but And I know a lot of libertarians are saying, just just legalize it. But what I've seen, and this is why I love the 50-state uh, concept, you know, a republic of 50 states, uh, United States. And uh, we can see, you can kind of see what happens when other states do this. I have not seen any states that have done this, and it's maintained the health of their children, the next generation, well. Now, they can argue it's, it's, it's given a tax increase. Even that. That's a tough argument. I think the uh, Colorado's only really experienced a one percent uh, uh, revenue increase from years past before this was legalized. There's there's a lot of arguments that it hasn't even done a lot to benefit the tax revenue of a state. But even more so, do we sacrifice the health and well-being of our again of our next generation? Uh, with something like marijuana, and I do believe marijuana is the gateway drug. It's it 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 is a drug that opens the door to a lot of other things. And and you know while we, we tell kids you know uh, in 
in Indiana, hey, you shouldn't uh, you shouldn't smoke. You shouldn't own a gun if you're not you know 18. You shouldn't you know we we put limitations on what kids can do for good reason. And and I believe if we legalize marijuana, we're we're kind of speaking out of both sides of our mouths. Then we're saying, well, marijuana's fine, kids, but don't smoke, don't own a gun, all of those things. You know, you can and, do it when you're an adult. Well, you can do it when you're a kid, well, and, like but, alcohol. Yeah, but I'm saying that that's going to give that slippery. The kids are going to see it. And it's your, to think that you're going to stop kids from, you know, going down that path is is naive. And, and so I, I I would stand up and say, listen, we don't need that in our state right now. Let's keep our state, uh, you know, just clean from that. It is a gateway drug. It, it We've seen it time and time again. And and so I do have libertarian uh, principles. I know there's a lot of libertarians out there that would that would uh, disagree with me on that one. But that's one where I'm like, hey, for the good of society, let's just let's just. Uh, and now now medical. Uh, purposes, I'm good with that. Like, if a doctor wants to prescribe it, there's a. I've seen I've seen medical marijuana work wonders for uh, patients that have um, uh, um, Lou Gehrig's disease, and uh, and they've uh, and then also with uh, uh, what Michael J. Fox um, Parkinson's Parkinson's. That's right. Yeah, sorry. Uh, with Parkinson's disease, it's been it's fina- It's uh, fascinating to watch what marijuana can do. This, so I'm good with that. I think that's 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 a doctor and a patient relationship uh, there. But but as far as just recreational, I, w- I would. Pushback. You got to try my edibles. We'll, we'll have a discussion. <laughs> <laughs> I heard you make good brownies. So. <laughs> Mike Beckwith, candidate for lieutenant governor, a long time friend of the program. Mike, my friend, uh, nothing but best of luck. We'll talk to you soon, old friend. Hey, thanks, Abdul. Appreciate you. This podcast was produced and edited by Chris Spangle and Leaders and Legends, LLC. If you're interested in starting a podcast or taking yours to the next level, please contact us at leadersandlegends.net.